When Shamrock Rovers got one back, tears came to my eyes. And we went two went up and I heard those thousands of Sligo people. I was proud and we went out and won. Best town in the world. Best town in the world. Best town in the world. More drama here. Chilani. North. Elding. 3-2. They've been looking for Stenson's head away at the far post. And over it comes Elliot. Stenson! One more. It's brilliant. 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 comes quickly. to episode 8 of the Bitter Red Supporters Trust podcast. Um, we are brought to you by Milligram Coffee on Wine Street, Sligo. We are we have a packed show today. We speak to David Cawley on the back of the announcement of his new two-year contract with the club. And we also speak to Martin Mullen from the Dundalk fans podcast called The Man Who Saved Football. Um, we speak to him about the final game, the final league game of the season, um, in uh, Dundalk against uh, in Oriel Park against Dundalk. Um, so we've a packed show. Um, we are it's the three of us again, and we are all doing this remotely once more. Uh, Sean Dunn's coming to us from the, the sticks of Balsader, and uh, Magoo, you are live from the showgrounds. Yeah. How are we getting on this so. evening, lads? Not too bad. All good. We're good. We're good. Um, we. Um, I just mentioned as well, just to get out of the way, that the, the annual draw is on the go. Uh, people are selling uh, tickets. I believe tickets are selling very, very well. Um, I got an update from uh, Gerald O'Connor. He said he alone has 40 books out being sold around the place. I think, Magoo, did you see a figure of, was there 8,000 um, already? Did you see that? 8,000 already? 6,000, I thought, Just a reminder for everybody, um, if you haven't already done it, you can purchase tickets on uh, the club's uh, merchandise or sales website, uh, srfcdirect.ie, excuse I can never remember, .ie or .com. You get it anyway. Uh, tickets available for €10 Euro or a book for €100. Euro. Uh, a special mention as well to Aaron O'Connor of Boyle Celtic, who um, shifted two books, uh, Quick Smart, uh, last week uh, to lads who were involved with Boyle Celtic. So fair play to them. Um, okay, so yeah, we have a packed show. We won't um, hang around too uh, long. We, we'll kick things off, lads, and just have a quick chat about the um, Bitter Red Supporters Trust Player of the Year Award. There was um, three candidates. Um, we had Kyle, we had Ed and Ginty, our goalkeeper, and um, we had Niall Morahan. Um, and uh, Magoo, do you want to tell us who, who eventually won the award? Um, well, I think it'll be no surprise to anybody that it was uh, young Niall. And I think well deserved too. Fantastic season he's had. In fairness, it was it was never going anywhere else, was it? And I think he'd be he'd think he'd be in the run for the official ones too from the club, would he? From the rest and the rest of the fours are doing too, don't they? Yeah, they do, yeah. Yeah. I said anyway, I'd say no matter what, I'd say he'd he'll be in the running for them all the season he's had. He's been outstanding. Yeah, well listen, I think the three number best player. three strong candidates. I think Ed is really kind of um position himself as like this this season he's really come to the fore as a quality League of Ireland player and I think we said it last week it's you know there's no sign of a contract and there's no noise of a contract yet a little bit worrying and mm. I'm sure he's got people knocking on the door yeah I think mm. if, if this if this season had gone on any longer I think Ed would have ran night close on that um, player of the year award his performances have really picked up in the last while he's, he's been brilliant yeah, and um, just to mention, obviously Kyle was leaving um, when we, we covered that. And he, you know, he, he, he a difficult season for everybody, but he really played, um, he played a significant part, you know, taking clearing balls off the line. He'd be a significant loss to the team for next season anyway. Yeah. Um, so, okay, well, listen, congratulations to Niall Moran. Is there... Um, well, what's the story with years past, Magoo? Is there a presentation made? Was that a, a golden boost job? Was, how was that done in the past? It was done, yeah. The boys used to make a presentation, right? But I don't know how. We'll, um, Jerry be the man to ask for that now, but I don't know how they're what they're going to do this year. We'll, we'll have to get we'll have to get more on the podcast and yeah, present it to him. Make a big deal out of that, you know? Yeah. Um, 
So there, there's been news over the last um, um, the last 24 hours, I think, uh, that affects us not uh, not affects us indirectly. Um, the Shams Derry game is back on. Dunner, um, it looked the FAI had said that no games would be rescheduled, but here we are. Um, this game is going to be rescheduled, and um, you know it, it could, it's going to affect Sligo Rovers, or it could affect Sligo Rovers. Yeah, it could have a bearing in our in our final game as well. But it's typical FAI, isn't it? Say one thing, do another. It's uh, it's becoming a farce at this stage the way they've dealt with this whole COVID situation and teams not fulfilling fixtures. Don't blame Derry City. Derry City took the right approach to that in not wanting to infect any other sides, but the FAI dropped the ball big time and have just made a mess of the whole situation. And it's it's really put a spanner in the works even for us. So it has. You'd imagine though, I mean, Derry, or Derry are going to lose that game, aren't they really? I mean, Shams are going to be, they, they need to win all their games to really try to justify this, the, the season as, as, you know, as champions. Yeah, well, yeah. I think I think definitely they do because in other words, as we said before, it's it's a it's half a season. It doesn't really mean anything, you know. So uh, they do need to go and win all these games. But no, I can't see Derry City getting anything from the game personally. Yeah, they haven't well, shown anything all season to say they will go and be the ones to beat Shams. They've been poor. No, yeah, but the point about that is that. Champs have won the league now, whereas the original fixture was scheduled for when Champs hadn't won the league. Yeah. So the would like that there'll still be that couple of percent less, even though they're a way better team than them. Like Definitely. you can't you can't be guaranteed that they'll be going hundred percent at it, whereas they would have beforehand. Yeah. And this is how this is how it starts affecting everybody down through. Like if 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 Derry were to if Derry were to beat Champs, then they come into the reckoning on the last day of the season too. Yeah. I mean, uh, if they if Derry beat Champs, they they'd go on to the same number of points as us at the moment, wouldn't they? Mm, yeah. Um, so, and Derry have it all to play for. With like they're st- they're looking over their shoulder too. Well, Harps coming. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, listen, it's not going to be huge. It's not going to be hugely detrimental to, to us. I mean, th- since the last time we spoke, we've been guaranteed that we've been guaranteed we won't end up in a in a relegation playoff, which is which is something, I suppose. Um, the other thing that I was going to bring up was um, the um, we still have no date for our cup game against Derry. I mean, that's that's a bit of a disaster. It's not our first. They want a professional. They want a professional league, like, and they run it like a bunch of amateurs. It's like it's comical, stuff. It's like a circus. Yeah, like uh, the one Actually, thing I'd say, the one thing I'd say about the um, the rescheduling of the. The Shams uh, Derry game is like, could they not have foreseen that you know, for one part of the season you allow teams to reschedule games, and then for another part of the season you say, oh no, you can't. Like, could they not have foreseen that that was going to be an absolute shit show, like you know? And that, yeah. I mean, if if that if that game wasn't going to be allowed to be played and Derry were going to end up in a relegation battle, that was that was going to the courts, like that was going to cost people a fortune, and the FBI were going to lose, like you know. Yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't only Derry who was going to be bringing it. Like he would add harps into the into the mix, then put the courts because of what the FBI have said. Yeah. About and but and but now they're doubling back on what they said. You can you can postpone games. Well, you can if you're shams. Then nobody else can postpone games. Yeah. And then kick then you kick up a fuss or you can't postpone a game. And it's yeah. it's a joke. Like I guarantee if it was us, it wouldn't be fucking back on. <laughs> we shafted. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Uh, listen, we'll, uh, we'll talk about the Dundalk game towards the end of the podcast. We've loads coming up. Um, we just, earlier we spoke to David Cawley. Um, we had a great chat with him. Uh, lads, are you, are you happy to see David Cawley sign a new two-year contract with the club? Magoo? Yeah, I am, yeah. I like David. Um, I think it, I think there was a good, solid League of Ireland midfielder. Like, you know, you know, and you know what you want to get with him. And it's not bringing somebody in who is an unknown as that. We know what we're going to get with David. He's never let us down, I don't think, really, in any of the games. Like, obviously, with all players, you have your ups and downs and uh, you're in form and you're out of form. But I think, in the main, you know what you get with David and he always he always gives 100%. And he's a good, solid League of Ireland player and I have no problem with seeing him stay on for another two years. Uh, Dunner, he, we, we've been inconsistent in the middle of the park for the last, I don't know, four or five games. Um, and he's been in there a lot, but I suppose it has been a challenging season. Um, 
it's been it's been difficult for everybody. Um, but um, I guess you're happy as well to see someone who knows the club sticking around for another two years. Well, yeah, and especially the fact that he's actually given a two-year contract. I'm actually impressed by the club for making that commitment to a player. It's actually encouraging as as we go into the close season that we'll see more players sign, signed up for that kind of length of deal, you know. So that's that's an encouraging aspect to take from it. But in regards to Cawley himself, Cawley's a, he's a great player to have in the squad. No two ways about it. And just in regards to the team at the moment, I don't think it just suits him playing in a two. I think that exposes David a wee bit and it doesn't actually play to his strengths. I think if he was to play in a, in a midfield three, we'd actually see a better David Cawley and a more influential David Cawley. But uh, that's down to the manager. That's not down to David Cawley. And there's no, there's no way David Cawley goes out on the pitch to play badly or anything like that. And he's had a couple of off games, granted, but a lot of them have recently. So, mm-hmm. look, I think going into next season, you can't argue with having David Cawley in the squad. I think it's a, it's a good addition. Um, okay, well, listen, we'll get into the interview with David Cawley. Uh, we opened it up by asking him, we're, we're congratulating the really on the two-year contract that he signed. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, it doesn't, doesn't happen too often, I suppose. Um, not in this league, but uh, yeah, you know, it was an easy decision when the club came speaking a couple of weeks ago. Um, it was plain sailing, you know, there was no no waiting around, so I couldn't wait to sign it and, you know, get the future sorted and kick on from now. And um, I suppose it just it comes in after um, after John Mann's two-year deal as well. So that's, it looks like the club is, you know, trying to secure... Um, the good talent that we have and you know try to build for the future and I suppose the fact that they're offering two-year contracts in what is a very tumultuous time we're all we're not sure what's mm. going on with COVID and what, what the disease is going to be like next year but it must be um, that must be must give you confidence about the club definitely yeah definitely you can see they're trying to build trying to build for the future especially with the lads as you mentioned there Niall and John you know they're so young as well and um, with big futures ahead of them, so you know they'd need to be tied down straight away. Um, but as you said, you know, I suppose a couple of months back we didn't really know what was going to happen, um, and it's the same with us as players. We didn't really know what the future, you know, was going to bring. So when the club did initially start start uh, mentioning about next season and stuff, um, you know, it was a bit of a relief because obviously we hadn't a clue you know, what was going to happen next year or even towards the end of this year. But obviously we're going to see the season out and, you know, the future is secure now. So that's one thing less to worry about. David, initially when you joined the club, it was at a bit of a strange time, I'd say both for yourself and for Sligo Rovers. You just left Ipswich Town and just returning home. But it was the time when Paul Cook had left and... It was kind of Jerry Carr was in temporary charge at the time. I think Ian Barclough hadn't even arrived at that stage. I don't think when you came, did he? No, no, geez, it was when I look back now, it was, it was, it was mental, lads. And I came in, and you know, I was invited down for just a couple of weeks. I don't even know if it was a trial, to be honest. I was just invited down to train, you know, and, and Cookie was there and trained for, I think he trained for a few days leading up to a friendly game against Foyle. Uh, played a game against Boyle and I think a few days later Cookie was gone <laughs> so I hadn't a clue I hadn't a clue am I turning up for training come Monday or whatever was the next training session or what am I doing um, so Karen Kelly in fairness it was kind of in between there he was like oh, just obviously just keep coming in or whatever you know you want to improve you know prove yourself to whoever the manager may be but Obviously, Jerry took over for most, I think, all of that preseason actually. Mm. And I, you know, I was training away. I was getting five or ten minutes in the friendly game, and you know, I didn't really think it was going to happen because, you know, if you're on trial, you kind of need to be playing all the friendly games and stuff like. But that wasn't really happening either. So, um, next thing, the club brings me on a, I don't know what day that we, one of the weekends, a couple of weeks down the line, and said we'd like to sign you. So. Again, Barraclough still wasn't even, we had no manager. You know, it was looking like Jerry was getting it. And then a couple of days after I signed in, I think Ian got announced. So kind of kind of went on from there, but it was, I suppose it was a strange start. What were, what were your impressions of um, the club and that team when you arrived? Um, obviously, I had my history done on, you know, the one that 
the cup the year before I joined and stuff like that. So <clears throat> I didn't really know too many of the people. And obviously, Joey would have been the big name probably around then. I knew Raf because he was fairly local to myself. Um, but after that, kind of just, you know, Mark Quigley was one of the names going around, Danny North, top players in the league. But I, I didn't have a whole, a whole lot known about them at the time. But, you know, training with them then, you know, it was, it was a massive step up for me. Even, you know, I trained with good players at Ipswich and stuff like that. But I, I wasn't training with them regularly. You know, I was training reserves under 18s. Um, but this was, this was a step up now because these were full-time pros, you know, sort of proper players, training with them every day. So it was, it was a massive step up. And did it feel like that team was primed for winning the league? That Like we always looking in, feel like after the, the cup successes from the year before, so it was the, the team, even with Cookie leaving, mm. was just ready to win the league that year. Like, And with all the other people beforehand and everything, was it still, was it the focus there right from the start? It was just... Yeah, I think I think that, like you were so close, obviously 2011, and you were you were building towards that under Cookie, you know, the, the years previous to that. But um, I think he lost he lost a few players like Richie Ryan and that as well along the way. And then I think when Cookie left, you know, I don't think people, you know, were thinking we're it's like we're going to go on and win the league in 2012. Or the expectations were still there, obviously. I'd say, but I think within the squad, it was it was drilled in, you know the lads, the senior players and that. It was it was really the the league was the one they wanted, you know. Um it was the big one. We you know, obviously you could get the cup as well, but I think that was the one that was missing at the time. Mm. And thankfully, twenty twelve we managed to managed to do it. Who who was the start here over square? Who was the um who who was the most important um like I think there's so much said about Dawson Doe and that team. Was was he as big a figurehead as he's made out to be? Was he as important a keystone of that team as everyone makes out? I think so. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, with me being so young as well, and in the same position as Joey, that you know he just—I don't know—he uh, he probably has high thoughts of Joey as fans, like, but you know, as players and playing beside him and stuff, you really, you really control games, like. From start to finish, it was probably probably the first time I really seen seen something like that. Um, especially playing with someone who just dictated everything and brought the best out of everyone around him, and just the game looked so simple to him that everyone was at his tempo. No matter if he picked up the tempo, you were catching up with him, or if he, you know Joey now he'd, he'd he'd slow it down a bit as well, and he'd take the sting out of the game and you'd be with them as well it's only I suppose in the few years you don't play with them that you look back and you realise you realise how good of a player he was and he was he was yeah he was, he was a top class midfielder no doubt about it When Barraclough came in first uh, David a lot of people remarked on how they felt the professionalism around the club changed that there was a a new a new form of professionalism basically came in from mm. the time of Cookie where everyone just thought it was a bit of a laugh and a joke and there were fantastic football inside, but mm. that they were just lacking that wee bit of discipline to take them that extra step forward and win the league. Do you feel that was something the Barra Club brought into the side? Or? Um, I think Barra definitely, definitely was. You know, he, was, he was a total professional. Um, I've heard plenty of stories over the years, but unfortunately I didn't get the chance to really see it under Cookie, you know, like day for day a day-for-day basis type of stuff around training and all that. But um, I've heard that, what you said there now, I've heard that quite a few times and from players who obviously played under Cookie for years and then went on with Barron, won the league. Lads have said that as well. But maybe, I'm not too, I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure. But uh, may, it, it might be the case. I know it's definitely Barakoff was, uh, was a total professional. Um, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't long after leaving Scunthorpe, so it was... And he's obviously a good professional himself in, in his playing career. So he obviously took that with him into his management. And he, he definitely brought it over when he came over with us as well, yeah. David, I'll ask you the obligatory Roy Keane question. Um, did you much inter interaction with him at, uh, at Ipswich? Um, yeah, he did, he did, yeah. He was, he was, um, he was obviously at all the reserve games and stuff like that. Um, a lot of us got to train with the first team. He'd call you over, you know, um, 
Jeez, he was <laughs> he was a hard man. Um, he really did demand. Now, in fairness, he did. He, he demanded a whole lot out of everyone, whether you're a young kid coming over training or if you were just say an Ipswich legend there coming towards the end of your career, he'd uh, he'd let you know he'd let you know a thing or two on the training pitch, definitely. But um, did you get involved in sessions? Just just once, I remember actually because it was the day before. I think it was a cup game or something, and. A lot of us were involved with the with the squad that was playing in the cup game in the in the league cup, and he was he'd only kind of get involved in you know the rondos and the circles and stuff like that. He wouldn't be he wouldn't be running around as he used to be, <laughs> steaming around in, in training or anything like that. But uh, geez, no, just from balls passes he'd do, he'd, he'd have them fired at you, and if you didn't control them, he'd be straight on your case, you know. Um, yeah, just remember him in the circles and stuff like that. He'd be one touch, he'd be fizzed at you, but they'd be, geez, they'd be accuracy perfect. Whereas we try one touch and it'd, it'd bobble up to your sheet or something, and he'd be, he'd be giving out to you and stuff like that. But no, nah, he was, nah, he, was he, he demanded the best, and it's what he'd done as a player, it's what his manager has done to him while he was a player, you know. So he's obviously going to take that into, into his managerial career. Um, we'll fast forward to. Um... Uh, to this year, I suppose, um, a really challenging start. But as we approached the end of the season, like um, I suppose, you know, we're, we're, it became clear that we were safe as well in the last couple of days. There's no risk of any playoffs or anything, um, which you know, in the context of the season so far, is great news. But what's your take on? Um, I know it's not finished yet, but what's your take on mm. um, the, the season so far? Highs and lows, jeez, any amount of them really. Um, it was, as you say, it was a difficult year. Um, didn't start as we wanted it how to start. Obviously, went into lockdown, staring at ourselves, bottom of the table, no points for three and a half months. You know, I think that actually helped us because it gave us that hunger to start, get into the restart straight away, and you know, get them. It was more about the points on the board straight away. You know, because you know we already know what it's like to be down there fighting with the teams around there. So. We knew we needed to get some points early, and thankfully we did. We did. We got it. We had a great restart, and we were, you know, we were looking. We were looking like the team we think we are with the potential we have um, for a few weeks, and and then we hit another blip. You know, we hit a blip at the the worst time possible because when we pulled ourselves out of that bottom, we ended up thinking, "Geez, we could go somewhere here with this." You know, we could we could really find ourselves in the top four and we did plenty of times but you know in the crucial games we kind of we kind of let ourselves down at the wrong time and you know we've a couple of defeats and then we had a, a couple of wins to make sure we're away from the bottom again and then when it was looking good again we had another defeat and you know it's just been a roller coaster really it's been up and down and I don't I don't really know why I don't really know why you know um just it's just been a diff- difficult difficult season I suppose but um hopefully hopefully we can just finish on a on a high and if we can please God get the points against Dundalk and you know we'll we'll be happy with that and if everything else goes our way, you know, happy days. Um if not we'll have to we'll have to get our eyes on the cup and see what we can see what we can do there. We're good. We're gonna ask a question there, no? No, he covered it. <laughs> okay. um, Sorry. <laughs> uh, so, um, go on, Sean. Yeah, no, I just wanted to just a quick one for you. Um, just interested to know how you found it from going from being a teammate of John Russell's to then having John Russell being as your assistant manager and looking after you. How's that transition been? Um, it's been no issue really. Uh, you know, when I, I first played with John when he came back in I think it was 2014 season. I was still fairly young, you know, and he was a senior player at the time. So, you know, he was, I was still kind of looking up to him for advice and especially on the pitch in certain scenarios or whatever. Like, um, but now that he, you know, he's a great coach, you know, you could see that in him even when he was playing and, you know, he was really interested in it. And I suppose last year was his first kind of hit at it, but he was, you know, he'd, 
he'd be coaching you on the Friday and then he'd be starting with you in midfield on, on the Saturday. Like, you know, <laughs> it was probably more strange for him rather than, you know, the likes of himself because, you know, I always seen, seen he had a, he had a great football, he's great football knowledge and he's good head on his shoulders. So, you know, it was, you know, it was no issue to me anyway. Do you, do you have any plans yourself to follow suit into the coaching management side of it? That's something I'm not, I'm not 100% on. Um, I know a lot of lads, especially around my age now, are kind of look, looking towards that. Um, it's something I'd need to look at now, going into the off-season, see, see what I want to do in the future. But uh, I'll see, you know. Um, you know. I've seen a lot of coaches come and go, you know, over the years, especially when I was at Rover and stuff like that, so... I don't know. I'd be inter- I'd be interested in coaching, but I don't know if I it would be my you know full time job. I'd like it as a full time job sort of thing, you know. So um, mm. maybe maybe even just having the badges is, is something to have anyway. So maybe I'll uh, have to look into that. David, what what is your um, you know? I suppose when you joined the club, we were going through and we were entering. Or no, we were in a, pe- a period of success, but mm. I suppose the club has developed significantly. Uh, off the pitch, and particularly in relation to like the underage structures that that um, that's now in place, uh, like, and obviously we're getting players off the back of the structure as well. But um, you know, I suppose if you were interested in in um, coaching, there is that kind of that scope within the club. But um, I guess what I'm trying to ask you is, you know. The, is that something that um, is impre- Is that an impressive aspect of Sligo Rovers that they? I know that you know. Obviously, all the teams have to have the underage setups, but yeah, producing quality players, and it looks like there's there is something of a bit of a there's a, a bit of a conveyor belt of players now coming through. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. Especially you know when you look back when I first joined, obviously you say we kind of have you have to have it anyway. But especially in the last three or four five years, when you see the likes of the lads we have now that are turning into you know full time starting players, you know the likes of John and Niall and Ed and goal and stuff. You know, some it's unbelievable. I don't know if there's any other club in the Premier Division that you know has that type type of players in their starting team week in week out. I'm not sure. I don't look into it too much, but it's definitely we definitely have one of the best academies in the country, especially at the moment. And you know, we, you look at our you look at our squads every week. We've we've other lads waiting on the benches. I was getting an odd appearance here and there. You know. Mark Byrne, Darren Collins, and Scotty Lynch, and them lads, you know, um, and they're probably looking at Niall and John starting and seeing, you know, there is there is a massive path there for them, you know, to go on and be a full time professional, make you know, make a living out out of the game, and they're young enough, so you ne- you never really know where where it could take them, you know. So as I said, to one or two of them, just keep keep working hard and training and stuff, and you know, when you look back, when you look back when when John first stepped in. I think there was a couple of injury, injuries at, at centre half, and I think at the time Jared Little had no he had, he had no really cho- no much not a lot of choices at centre half at the time on the bench, so he had to play John, and then John ended up being unbelievable in, in the game, and I think he's probably played any game he's been available, he started and finished, you know. So where, where would you little... place, where would you place John? Um, you know, in the hierarchy of centre halves in the league. Um, it's, diff- it's difficult to say, I suppose. I know he he definitely has the potential to be one of the best. You know, he he has he has you know the, the mature head. He's strong. He's he's quick. You know, and and you know, he, he, obviously he's so young that he can only he can only get better. Um, I don't I don't really know, and I don't want to kind of. I'd love to tell you that yeah, he's going to be the he's going to be the best, or he is the best at the moment. Because I don't, I don't want to say that it would be unfair to probably say it on to John so soon, like because uh, I don't want to give him a big head. He's a big head as it is. Um, <laughs> but uh, definitely, he's you know he's a great future ahead of him, and you know it's not great to, that he's come back from that leg break because Jesus, it was horrible the day it happened. You could just the scream. You knew there was something wrong with him the day it happened because that <laughs> that man doesn't stay down for long. Like you know, he's he's a he's a hard lad and. Uh, it's great. It's just great that he recovered so so quickly, and you know, it's like he's never been out really. The way he's playing, the way he's training, the way he's playing, it's like it's just like he wasn't out at all. Out at all, like. Yeah, we spoke to him last week uh, on the pod, and uh, 
Mm. We spoke to him about that initial touch that he had. His first game back in Talca, the first heavy touch, but the recovery then was just his quality. And he said it settled him so much. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. Like, and <clears throat> That's what I mean. You wouldn't think, you know, after a touch... After taking a touch like that, that, that after a leg break, you'd be able to recover so quickly and hook your leg around to to make the tackle. But supposed to show you, like, man's a machine. Yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose it's hard to say what's going to happen next year, um, as we said already. Um, we're, we're going to presume that um, Liam Bucky will still be around. Um, are you happy with, although it's been a kind of an inconsistent season, are, are you happy with um, the style of football? Obviously, Liam's known for his... his, um, his Football is he wants mm. to play football. Um, is that that's something that suits you? Um, but you know, where do you want to see your game going over the next couple of years? Um, I think I think we showed we showed that we can we can we can play decent football in you know in that them spells we had where where we were winning games and you know even even the games the couple of games we won by a goal two one and and that but there were so so many chances we were creating and a lot of times we we didn't take them but. You know, some of them games could have been three, one, four, one. You know, but we were creating a lot of chances and playing good football. And um, you know, that that's what that's what we should be like. You know, um, going forward. You know, with the players going forward, we should be creating a lot of chances. And we should be we should be scoring as well, obviously. But um, you know, if you get back to creating them chances, you know, you'll, you'll win more games than than you lose. But I think, as you say, it was inconsistent as well at times where we didn't create half as many as, as we could have. And, um, you know, we just we, we kind of need to get back. We have to go back to remember what we were doing, how hard we were working when, when we were winning them games. How we, you know, we were working hard for each other defensively, but obviously we were making them runs going forward as well and, you know, bursting your ball skin in the box to get on the end of something as well. We need to get back to that and hopefully... Hopefully that's what we can we can do going going forward. We do um, David Cauley twenty yards into the top corner. <laughs> it hasn't been one this season so far, has there? No, there was a scramble in the shells box, <laughs> but I took I'd take anything out at the moment. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, no, that hasn't been one this year. Um, do you remember? Do you remember your first Rovers goal? I do. Yeah, yeah. It's my favourite one, I suppose. Is that, yeah. Against, yeah, against Shams. No, it has to be a favourite. Yeah. Yes. Was, it, was there a reflection of it? No, I was telling you that. <laughs> it, it, it took a wicked dip on it. I was just wondering. Uh, to be honest with you, it could have clipped off the top of your man's boot. But, um, <laughs> don't say that, David. I, I, I don't think. I don't think whoever your man was. I don't think he'll he'll say anything about it. So. Um, do you know what I nearly forgot um, we put it on Twitter uh, today that we were going to speak to you on the podcast and we got a couple of questions yeah. from uh, people um, Matt Conlon asked um, uh, he asked well, are you happy with the way the season's gone I suppose you've covered it for the most part but um, just mm. in a couple of sentences are you happy with the way the season's gone um, I suppose I can an- answer that fully when you know the next two games are over in the cup and that um, but yeah I don't know you know, if we can beat them dark and finish where we want to finish, I'll I'll say yes. But if we don't, I'll probably say no. Yeah. Um, the other question that um, one of the other questions we got in was from Ryan Matthews, and he asks, um, uh, the preseason sco- preseason goal that you scored from the halfway line against Bandon Mallard, um, is that the best goal you've ever scored? But obviously, we just talk- spoke about the Shams goal. Uh, tell us about that Bandon Mallard goal. Um, funny enough, the manager at the time about. 20 seconds before that just gave me a bollocking because <laughs> I was out with the flu about a week before that and it was my first game of pre-season and I was absolutely blown when that came and I was sitting deep I don't know I, was, I sit deep normally but I was sitting very deep and he's like get up I won't say exactly what he said he said get up but anyway I ended up shouting across him and sprinting up to get over the halfway line and the next thing the ball just came to my chest and I just I just hit it as hard as I could Probably, I don't know, out of anger of the manager giving out to me or whatever. <laughs> but I probably won't hit one as, as sweet as that anyway. And that's David Cawley. Um, really good to speak to David. Um, comes across really well. Uh, I think, yeah, I know it's really good to have David on board for uh, two more seasons. I'd love to see more goals from him, um, particularly like that goal he scored in Tata. Um, so uh, our last game of the season is uh, we are away to Dundalk. Um, you know, we, we made most of 
in the situation the last time we played Dundalk, Dunner, um, what are your expectations going into this game? I mean, it's it's um, it's it's still an important game for us. It's really important. Oh, it's a game we're back at this crack of. It's a massive game for us, you know. Um, <laughs> it's been like this a lot now this season, but look, 2020, it's Groundhog Day. It is Groundhog Day. Yeah, genuinely, it is. We're constantly coming back to it. Um, look, it's a, it's a bit, it's a massive game. It is. Uh, we have to attack them. We have to get at them. They're going to be tired. They're as Martin and Luce, the squad is stretched. There is a real opportunity for us. We cannot let them dictate the play. Even though they're at home, it's it's vitally important that we set the standard, that we get in amongst them. And if we let them settle down and just start passing it about, we could find ourselves in trouble. They could open us up quite quickly. You could be one or two down easily in the first half. And it's something we just can't let happen. We have to get at them straight away and, you know, make, make it an unnervy night for them. Yeah. Uh, Magoo, you know straight away. You know in the first five minutes whether um, whether we're up for this or not, or whether the kind of the, the, the team have kind of written the season off. We're safe. It's job done. Maybe there's players leaving, and you know we know straight away, won't we? Oh, you will. Yeah, like any game, you know, in the first five minutes. But I like I hope it's it's another cup final, basically. You know, and I hope this this one finally we we approach it with the right mindset, and like. The, the hands of fate seem or continually seem to try and give us this forward position, and we just don't want to take it. Like, do I hope that this time we might try and grasp it a bit? But I like, and that's and it's not, and it's going to be no guarantee that it's going to make any difference at the end of the day, anyway. But I'd be the opposite of Sean, though. I, I think going there, we know even if we play our own game and like we like to get the ball down and play it around, Dundalk are going to have more possession than us, especially first half, anyway. It's a given. It's up there on that pitch. I like to see us this time actually go with a game plan away from home. Like we always can see goals away from home. We never score goals away from home. I'd like to see us go sit in, sit in the low block with the defence, sit in the midfield in front of Hoban, don't let any balls into him, keep it tight. And at the minute, like as, as Martin will allude to, and I have said before, that I would target Shields then. The minute Shields gets the ball in around a half a line or into our half, get on him straight away. Like hunt him down because I don't, I don't, if he, when the pressure comes on him, I don't think he has that. If he wants, he's not going to play one and two touch football around you. No. He's definitely not. He'd play it sideways backwards. I would, that's what I would do. I'd like to see a sit in actual game plan and stick to it. I don't care if it's nil nil after 80 minutes. Do you know what I mean? It's still there for us. Yeah, but would you not, would the dog are going to get tired. No, sit in if you can't target shields, do but sit in and then hit like use a tactic, hit a, hit a long ball to hit the diagonal ball to junior over the top, do something different. We've done the same thing away from home all year and it hasn't worked. It's not know? worked for us. And if we do the same thing, as Sean has said already, if we do the same thing this week away from home, we could be two down at halftime and the game is up. Why not sit in, have a game plan, sit in, and if it's still the last 80 minutes, who cares? Then they're going to be tired after all the fucking travelling anyway and stuff. So well, it's, it, it's not going to be any harm. And, and at the end of the day, even if it doesn't work for us or it does work and we win and it, it, it doesn't make a difference because Waterford win or whoever or Pats win tonight and win, on, and win on Monday, at least we'll have that in our locker to know we can do it. And we might have to wait to Shams in the semi-final of a cup. Or we'll have it in our locker for next year. Well, it doesn't have to always be the same thing over and over again. Sean, would you not try? It hasn't worked. Would you not try, Sean? Would you not try and capitalize on um, Dundalk's tiredness with their traveling and their um, the quick turnaround in games and go at them instead of sitting in and sitting back and letting them have the ball? Yeah, well, that's what I mean. My thinking on it would be to get at them straight away and hassle them and bring the game to a higher tempo. That's not, they're not going to be comfortable with that. I'd expect after so many games this month alone that they're not going to want to battle the, straight away. But the will, really? like for, for the start of the game, they're going to be the first, the first half an hour, they'll, they'll still be up for thing and they'll be used to a higher tempo because they're, they're, they're playing the Europa League every week. Like they're definitely going to be, our fellas aren't going to set a higher tempo than Arsenal set last week. That's no, never but, going to happen. No, but I mean, I mean, when I say higher tempo, I mean by pressing them, by getting at them. By I would press them, but I, I just but, but I wouldn't press. I wouldn't life press them. I would, but I would do that. But I wouldn't press them as high up the pitch. 
I'd let yeah. them have it. Let them have it. Let them ponder over. But like, because to do if you if you block if you block the balls into Hoven, into his, his chest, his feet, or that, and playing off him, block all them avenues. Put three in midfield. Put the two low blocks in, and then let Shields try and dictate the game. He's not going to dictate it. No, it's the boys in the it's the boys in the wing and that who are their playmakers, Duffy and or if McElhenney's playing, I'm not sure if he's injured. If he's back from, if he's injured or that, but like I'd I'd let them frustrate them, and then their tiredness will come out. The thing I'd look at there, though, McGill, just it's only my own opinion, obviously, but it'll be the likes of Duffy or that that if they do unlock us, if we did sit back and they unlock us early because we know they have the ability to do that. McElhenney can unlock any team in the league. There's no, no problem there whatsoever. But if they unlock us early, after we're sitting back, we're, we're chasing their tails then again anyway, and they could, the scoreline could be ending, could be four or five now. I know, but, it could, that's, it's, it's, but that's what I'm saying. Like that's, in my view, that, that could happen anyway because it's happened all season away from home. Like It's happened all season. We've, we've conceded their early away from home in, in a lot of games. So because we seem to leave ourselves open away from home, mm. especially the way we want to play, so that's why I just say like it's it's if it's ha- like if the the definition of insanity like keep doing the same thing and expecting a different results, like why not do something different and see? I know it's the last game of the season, and you know why we there's no point in changing it now. Just keep what it's a long shot anyway for us to get to Europe. So yeah, well, um, we've not been able to dictated anyway so we're, we're we're kind of relying on other people to to do a lot of the work for us and just to remind people that we're, we're sponsored by milligram coffee on wine street sligo thanks a million to um, the guys in milligram they're, they're great sponsors uh, they came on so early um, in this projects and backed us so we're really appreciative of um of the support that they give us um so um we spoke to martin mullen from the men who saved football uh, it's the Dundalk Fan Podcast uh, to get uh, his view on where Dundalk have, how they've kind of progressed over the last number of months since Finney Park left the club. Um, Rovers beat them 3-1 in the showgrounds just after Finney left. And um, Martin gives us um, his take on you know where the club is at the moment and um, how he thinks that um, they'll get on um, as Rovers visit Oriel Park. Nobby Styles, oh what a goal! All the way, let's hear for the man who tried to save the face, who tried to save the face of football, football. Okay, so uh, Martin, thanks a million for um, giving us some of your time. Um, you have, you're part of. Is there three of you involved in um, the man who saved the face of football podcast? Uh, there's four of us, mustn't it? And there's, uh, I guess, Kenneth Sloan, who was formerly on the, the board uh, when it was run as a co-op a long time ago. Uh, then there's Rory Murphy, myself, and Damien Kenny. Uh, so some of us were contributors to a previous podcast that was run by uh, Gavin McLaughlin, who's now the media officer with Dundalk. But after he took up that role, that was kind of uh, knocked on the head uh, a little bit as he took over his official duties. So we decided to carry it on ourselves, and uh, we've been at it for... I don't know, nearly 20 episodes now, but uh, yeah, it's going on. Um, yeah, no, I've listened to a good few of them. The, the podcast is great. Um, as I said, it's called it's called The Men Who Saved the Face of Football, right? The Men Who Saved Football, yeah. The Men Who Saved Football, all right. So, um, and is the Jinx that in the song called The Men Who Saved the Face of Football, no? Did I just make that up? <laughs> I think it's also just The Men Who Saved Football, but you're uh, right, okay. the, the line in the song is that they saved the face of football. So, okay, yeah. and is that is that song about... Um, Oh, what's his name? Maxi McAllister? Is that his name? <laughs> the, this is asking me about the, the origin of Jinx's songs that I actually don't know. So well, you put me on the spot. Is it not about the Dundalk fan who um, who poured petrol on himself outside of the FAI offices? Uh, I mean, I, I remember the Maxi incident very clearly, but uh, I, I actually don't know whether it's the, the basis for the song or not. But uh, I know that Jinx is famously not a fan of football. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's famously a bit anti-football. I think he grew up in one of those Dundalk estates that was football mad, and he was one of those fellows who took a bit of a, an exception right. to it. So he played. Uh, uh, he played in McGarrigal's um, famous venue in Sligo. I saw him about ten years ago. Um, yeah, he, he, he was a brilliant, brilliant performer. Okay, let's uh, move on to the football itself. So, um, you know, interestingly, this is this is both um, Dundalk's and um, Rovers' last game of the season. The last time they met. Um, Rovers really capitalised on um, the instability that was 
I suppose, um, that had set in at Dundalk. Um, Vinnie Perth had just left and Dundalk rolled into town and Rovers made hay, I suppose, and they, they had a 3-1 win. But in that time to now, what's the, the opinion of the, the club and the situation that the club is in now um, from, the, from the fans? It's hard to, to probably get a, a finger on the pulse of, you know, what Dundalk fans think collectively at the moment, because, you know, with the, the way the situation is in the country, we're not seeing each other collectively like all that much. But, you know, if you take a, a sense of what's happening on Twitter and on fan forums and stuff like that, that I think people have, have warmed to Filippo, like he's a bit of a personality, but like in his initial interviews, I think people were expecting, you know, somebody off the street who had never managed before and their expectations were very low for what he was going to you know, achieve. And from the moment he walked in the door, like he was very confident about his own, you know, his own belief in his own ability. Uh, and he came across very well in the, the opening couple of interviews about like what he wanted to achieve and why he thought he was the man for the job. And after, you know, only a couple of games, it became clear that he had sort of gotten the players on side and from a, a point where their confidence was incredibly low, uh, they were playing quite badly and there was rumours of, you know, a bit of disquiet in the camp. He really seemed to have gotten a handle on that. And uh, between, like I said, the, the positive kind of media uh, performances that he gave himself and the performance that the team started to give in the, the subsequent week afterwards, I think people warmed to him fairly quickly. And, you know, uh, there's the jury's still out a little bit. Like, I, I don't think people have made up their minds fully, but I think people are relatively pleased with what they've they've seen so far and I think they really like Philippe as a person. Martin, in relation to the squad that's there at the moment, the majority of it is taking you through probably your most successful period as a club. Would you feel as a fan that that team has kind of t- gone as far as it can go and that would need a bit of rebuilding or a refresh as such? Or do you feel that there's still more in that squad? Yeah, well, I think I said on, on our own podcast that um, like we've had concerns about the, the midfield for some time in that it's not quite as dynamic as it, it once was, that there's a lot of players who are energetic, but like not necessarily a whole lot of quality when it comes to getting on the ball and, you know, uh, trying to, to play the ball forward. Uh, they're very good at winning the ball back and they're, you know, very good at kind of high energy pressing and, uh, and that kind of thing. And then, you know, in their, their own moments, they've played some good football as well. So I don't want to knock people entirely, but um I think we've suggested a, a few times that we see as, that has been like the big opportunity for a bit of a refresh. Like we need to get, I think the last three or four really good quality Irish, you know, players on the ball have all seemed to go to Shamrock Rovers, like one way or another, like Gary O'Neill, Jack Byrne, um, a couple of others. And that's sort of, you know, over the course of a couple of years kind of sent the, the tide in a slightly different direction. I mean, Shamrock Rovers have had a great season, so we've got to hand it to them there. I don't know if we, yeah, <laughs> the asterisk lead. Uh, I don't think any of the fans are, really want to see wholesale changes because I think if you if you look at all of the, the League of Ireland clubs, the ones that really seem to suffer most when it comes to you know starting a new season, ones that have had really big turnover in terms of the number of players, and you probably know this yourselves, uh, when you've got like a whole new 15, 16, you know, set of fellas in, it takes them a long time to get to know one another, to, you know, understand one another's game and to start to perform. And I think there's a real danger that if the, there's a huge turnover in the Dodog squad, that we'll lose a lot of those, you know, kind of um, those people who know one another's game really well. And we'll end up with a situation where, you know, you might get in some some quality players, but it's going to take them some time to, to actually build that into a team. And so I think we're hoping for, you know, surgery rather than you know a whole scale uh, overhaul of the, the squad there's been um, there's been you know interesting stories about some of the players that arrived at Dundalk recently but is that a bit of a worry about you know maybe the manager doesn't know the league um, as well as other man- managers are as well as maybe managers that ordinarily might be in the position of, of, of Dundalk manager but is that a bit of a concern where those uh, potential new players might come from. Yeah, well, I think, you know, five or six months ago, like Felipe and his assistants uh, didn't know where Dundalk was on the map. So expecting them to know much about the, the League of Ireland and depth and who's who and 
you know, which players are potentially coming back from England and this kind of thing is, you know, um, <laughs> I'd say safe to say that isn't their, their strong suit. So on the podcast, uh, we've speculated like a, a couple of times about what the right approach to that is. Like some of us feel that, you know, getting in a, a director of football, you know, to kind of help him uh, work on recruitment and that kind of thing might be a good idea. Um, others have kind of pointed out that, you know, why are we looking for two people to do the job that maybe one person should be doing, you know, if we had a, a manager who was both capable and knew the league well themselves. Um, but we've also got Shane Keegan, I think, on the, the backroom staff, who obviously is uh, a long history at Galway and Wexford. And, uh, you know, he certainly knows the the league and, and players and stuff like that and is, you know, regarded quite well as a coach, maybe, you know, is performance with Galway didn't reflect that you know quite so much but uh, I, I think you might say that he has enough to maybe get the club through the, the recruitment but I think the, the worry that we have is that you really want the club firing on all cylinders when it comes to recruitment you know you want the, the coach to have a plan for the way that he wants the team to play you want you know either himself or his assistants to have a recruitment plan for who it is that they want to sign up well in advance to be able to offer them, you want to be able to, you know, extend contracts to, to current players to make sure that you don't lose them. And uh, there's a bit of a worry at the moment that the way the club has functioned over the course of the season, just in terms of like it's it's off the pitch business. And I think we're on the record of you know how we think the the chairman has kind of uh, brought us to to this current situation. Like, don't have a lot of confidence that they are all on the same page and that they're all you know putting in the same direction and that these plans are in place. Uh, like sort of a feeling at the moment that's that's you know up in the air a bit. Yeah. You it mentioned Martin the director of football. I, do you think it's something that's actually a possibility with the current ownership in charge, or is this, as you say, a bit of pie in the sky? Uh, <laughs> it's hard to predict what Bill will do next. You know, uh, some some days he does interviews and he seems to make a lot of sense. Like he seems to talk about you know building a team in and around the club of professionals who know what they're doing. And, you know, other times you hear stories that he's, you know, trying to get a hotline into the dugout so that he can dictate who's, you know, coming off the bench and uh, making substitutions and stuff like that. So really, it, nobody really knows what the, the story is. Like, I think when Vinnie Perth left, we all had a, a big fear that the chairman was of mind that he wanted to, you know, pick the team as much as he did uh, want to, to run things off the field. And in the meantime, I think Filippo Giovanioli has kind of demonstrated that he seems to be in charge of team affairs. He seems to have like no concerns about standing up to anybody who might tell him otherwise. Uh, he definitely seems to have you know found a, a sort sort of a favorite first eleven. Uh, he's experimented a wee bit in the last week, but you know for for a while there he was you know picking the the same players for all of the the key matches anyway. Um, and so you get the feeling like he has got a good evaluation of the current squad at least uh, and he knows what he wants to do but you know he's still not under contract for next season so we don't know if he'll be there uh there's a lot of the players are out of contract as well so a bit difficult to predict and uh like i say we, we just don't know where we're going to get off the pitch at the moment um just really quickly um so you played arsenal last week um this podcast will go out on thursday so we'll say tonight uh, you're playing vienna um you were quite Positive about um, the performance in London? It's a hard one to wait sometimes. Like when you when you see your club beaten 3-0, uh, sometimes you got to dig deep to, to find the positives. But I think when you consider the disparity of resources between the two sides, like we all kind of felt in advance that if we put in a good performance and the scoreline wasn't you know too bad, that in many ways we would have performed well. Um, but difficult to tell. Like I saw some some fans of other clubs suggesting that it was you know the Arsenal reserve side and you know how it, how much would you really measure uh, the performance? But they did have like a seventy nine million man you know in the team at the same time. So I don't know. Like I, I think there was a lot of positives to take from the game. Uh, I think Dundalk, particularly in the first half, played quite well. Like they threatened a little bit themselves. Uh, but definitely, like a, there was so much pace in that Arsenal team that nobody could afford to go one on one with with any of the players like it really the we had to defend in a lot of depth there had to be cover for you know pretty much everybody in, in every position had to work really hard on, on that respect and I think you know once they got a couple of goals ahead like there was no real way for Dundalk to try to um boss the game and try to to get back into it like it would have just left ourselves so vulnerable at the back so 
I think the scoreline was a fair reflection of the game. Like Arsenal definitely dominated a lot. And we no complaints about the the scoreline at the end. But I think it was probably about as as good a performance as as we could have expected. Um, so it was a bit of kind of back down to earth then when we played uh, Pats at the weekend and had a fairly dour one one draw. And I think my concern for tonight against Rapid Vienna and then again at the weekend is that I think the the squad at the moment looks really kind of stretched by the number of games that have been asked to play in a very short space of time, a lot of travel as well. And, um, you know, while it, it's a squad with a lot of numbers, like definitely the, the players on the fields either look, you know, kind of tired or if there's too many changes, like sometimes there's, you know, 10 changes or something like that for a match. The, the subsequent players that are on the pitch in those cases look, I wouldn't say like total strangers, but, you know, don't seem to have that, level of kind of connectedness with each other that you're getting the same level of performance out of it so a lot of concerns about the the strain that is on the squad at the moment so this is a, this is an important game um against uh, against Lager Rovers so um I mean you've obviously said that you're you're, you're worried um because of this the strains the, the squad is under um so what are your expectations yeah I mean for the past three games now in the league, I think Dundalk have been in the position that if they won it, they were pretty much guaranteed European football. And uh, on the previous two occasions, we've passed up that chance, like beating 1-0 on Waterford and then the, the draw with Pats at the weekend. So like, there's a real sense of frustration that, you know, we've had an opportunity to put this to bed now and then, you know, maybe relax and, and focus on the, the European games that we've already got. And we've kind of, you know, foregone that. And so here we are again, turn number three. Um... I don't know if my expectations are much different. Like having watched the, the previous two league games, I'd say it's going to be another tense game. Uh, like I think the, the sides are going to be fairly evenly matched. Uh, I think Dundalk are on a, a slightly firmer footing than they were when you know we met at the showgrounds earlier in the season. Uh, at that stage, like confidence was really low. And I think even though Dundalk kind of bossed possession a bit on the day, like there was a sense that every time Sligo attacked, uh, they really you know got out of defence and... Uh, you know, created opportunities and, you know, went on to, to score three goals. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't expect it to be that open this time. I think it's going to be a lot cagier. And I think the fact that, you know, a draw will probably do Dundalk based on their uh, goal difference advantage over Waterford and, and that kind of thing uh, means that it will probably be very cagey. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was a draw. Okay, thanks a million to Martin Mullen from the Man Who Save Football podcast. Uh, I'm Matt, I guess, there's many different people, uh, fan-led podcasts, people on our own podcast to, to um, see uh, what, um, how other people are, are approaching their clubs. Um, and their, their, their podcast is a really good listen. They're um, smart lads. They bring kind of a good insight to um, a good critical eye to their own club um, up at Oriel Park. Um, okay, listen, before we finish things up, um, there's been new um, Rovers gear launched uh, on the website uh, I, I kind of like it. Sean, do you like the Joma gear? Do you like the Joma stuff? It's lovely gear. Really, really nice design of gear. Um, quality of it is excellent as well. So yeah. Especially, and really, really good value. So, no, I'm impressed with the designs they're sending over. I was actually very sceptical about Joma when they first came on board, but pleasantly surprised by everything they've produced for the club so far. Yeah, but I think the home jersey we have this year and um, the away jersey are two of the nicest jerseys we've had in a long time. Uh, mm. Magoo, uh, Anything stand out for you from the new line of, of gear that's on the go there? Oh, the black hoodie. I think is lovely. Mm. But all the stuff is really nice, in fairness. It's all really yeah. nice. And as Sean said, it's, it's great quality gear. Like, like I yeah. have loads of it. And it's there's never no problem with it. Like, wash, dry, tumble dry, even if you chuck it into... It's, it stands the test of time. Yeah, I suppose we should also mention as well uh, the Bitter Red Supporters Trust, the, the old merchant, merchandise on the the BORST.E website. There's loads of stuff there. Uh, hoodies, T-shirts, aprons, <coughs> mugs. More quality gear. More quality gear. Perfect Christmas presents um, yep. for the Sligo Rover supporter in your life. So uh, get on the website, BORST.E and um, get the old uh, debit card or credit card uh, on the go. And buy it. Melt it. Melt it. Okay, so listen, I think that's it, lads. Have we anything else to, to mention before we finish up? No, that's it for me, yeah. Magoo, anything from you? No, I don't think so, no. Um, we done the Player of the Year, didn't we? Mark Bradley, Player of the Year. We did the Mark, um, yeah, we did. yeah. Well, listen, um, 
This is uh, episode eight brought to you by Milligram Coffee, Wine Street, Sligo. Um, eight weeks in, lads. Did you think we'd make it this far? No, not at all. I thought we'd be ran off at this stage, but it seems to be going all right. Yeah, it seems to be going all right. Uh, looks like we're influencing uh, the podcast landscape across Sligo as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> must have, give a big big shout out to Aaron McPartland and the boys. Yeah, yeah. I listened to it this morning. It's good stuff. Um, so Yeah, it was a good, it was a good listen in fairness, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, a fair play to them. All the best to them, would it? Yeah, that's um. It's good. Things like this are good, especially in 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 these times with no pubs and no meeting up and stuff. It's good for people to have stuff like this to listen to and to. Absolutely. Put a crack if yeah. not. Put a crack and make you feel like it back down the pub. Yeah. What's the name of the large podcast? The um. The Sligo Way. Sligo Way. That's right. Yeah. Um. Definitely on SoundCloud. I think it could be available on other um, on other platforms, but uh, check it out. You get them on Twitter and you can find links there. So, okay, listen, lads, we'll wrap it up. Thanks a million. Uh, uh, Dunner, we'll chat to you next week. Cheers, Connor. Okay, we'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. See you, boys. Someone rang the supporters bar. Said loud something on the street.